This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The problem with the grunge is not Pearl Jam. The problem with grunge is Stone Temple Pilots yeah. because the big hit that owes its life to this song is Plush. That uh, yep. Stone Temple Pilots, and I right. feel and <laughs> that, that's the cherry pie of grunge. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. recording it is on uh jeff sorry about the weather in berkeley you should just let's just assume that this podcast takes place with me in an underground bunker with like the Tatooine desert happening above me like it's just a disaster here but But thank you but good tacos yeah okay yeah so you know it all evens out (laughs) ben Knoxville, Tennessee. Are you hanging in there? We are bumping along, my friend. Fall has come. The Vols won last week. Everything's good here. Everything is good here. Well, uh, welcome to the Music City Podcast Network. This is 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Um, and if you listen to, to last week's podcast, 1990, you know what's coming next. We do? What's coming next? <laughs> Help us out, brother. I, I thought this was the part where you apologize. Oh, oh, dude, thank you for mentioning it. I forgot. I didn't even get a chance to unload on you how much I hate <laughs> contemporary country. Like, if you could go back, anyone who cares, just go back and listen to the instrumentation of that song and the accent that that guy brings to it. And also, Jeff will agree with this. Yeah. We're both medium-sized country fans. Like, really? I, I really, really, really like some country stuff. And in particular, like that whole alt-country, yep. like um, grittier version sure. of it is Steve great. Steve Earle is a great example. But, and actually, yeah. like uh, my daughters, or my older daughter now, like kind of even likes modern contemporary country. And there's mm. something about that that is even a little bit more likable. This version is just the worst version of it. Well, I, it's I've just got... like terrible songwriting with a horrible accent with uh like bruce hornsby keyboard solo like it's not okay so i started with (laughs) a joke i I started with a joke (laughs) but in all seriousness you know my my sound was going out as i was getting hammered uh else i would have mounted a defense but in all seriousness i thought of the idea of art and commerce and, and the idea of of record corporations pushing an agenda and pushing an artist and therefore art is is appealing to the lowest common denominator. Uh, I, I mean, I think that was essentially what you're saying. You're talking about me when right. I, because I, I feel like I went back. I, I feel like I kind of took it easy. I have more things to say if we're going to reopen this. But yes, I think. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, I this got, is a can of worms. So I got there's a lot of worms. Commerce. It's like it's really like a sea of worms in there. <laughs> Here, here's, angry worms. Here's what I'm thinking. Because we also talked about how comedic rap doesn't really have a place in the marketplace anymore. Whereas when Digital Underground released Humpty Dance, we had Tone Loke, we had Young MC. That was actually the year- we, Oh, did of, we have Baby Got's Back in two years later, which is yeah, maybe the parents, funniest rap song of all time. Parents Don't Just Understand, which right. I think I probably still know all of from and, 1990. And, and Biz Marquee, Oh Baby You, uh, totally. was also in 1990. And I guess what I want to know is, how are you differentiating the 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 commerce and art mixture of Garth Brooks from Ben's pick of the Humpty Ooh. Dance. Why is yeah. Garth Brooks so loathable while everything you just mentioned gets a pass and we kind of like? That is correct. Do you think, so my follow-up question is, do you consider Garth Brooks to be a comedy act? <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious. Did that you is say, the difference. Well, it's Right so- there. Garth Brooks <laughs> takes himself deeply deeply serious you know what garth brooks's version of the humpty dance would be 
Oh, uh-huh. I'm the humpty dancer. And it would have some like, like truck and a rainstorm and slow motion. And it would mean a lot well, to I be did, the humpty dancer. I did and that's why he's so I did a lot of research on Garth Brooks live performances, like at the CMT Awards. And it gets worse. Like the performances where he has dancers coming out in like tuxedos. And then they change the set and then they come out and they're all honky tonk and it's, they're grinding. Oh, and it's, God. it's, I really, I much preferred when Justin Timberlake sang the song and invited Garth Brooks out. So dude, I hilarious. have a different objection. Are you ready? Yeah. So go. Um, uh, both Jeff and I, but maybe more me have chosen songs that are big hits. Um, and I will defend those in saying yeah. that if you go back and listen to it, every single song I've chosen that was a big hit, actually sounded radically different than what else was on the radio. It was a okay. departure. It was something new. And the, and the Humpty Dance is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like that was a weird, bizarre song. And it stood as a one-off. Like they didn't imitate it afterwards. There was some really a clear precursor for it. Uh, this, the song that I have here this week, Freedom 90, like this is a song that I remember as a massive, gigantic hit. And it was only number eight in the country. It never hit number one. Oh, Dude, when you go back and look at the number one hits every single year period that we've covered from 69 up until now mm-hmm. at least 60 to 75 percent of the number one hits are very 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 cooker cutter and they imitate other songs that came before and there were other songs that sound just like them afterwards it's, it's like you're leading into the number one hit right there's now. a cynicism <laughs> to pop music and where they're just like yes. oh, we're just building the same exact ford pinto over and over again. Somebody else bought a Ford Pinto and it was green. So here's one that's sea green. Thanks for coming. Right. And uh, contemporary country is the, a really, really toxic version of that. Yeah. Like it's the same song over and over again. And it's so cynical because you can actually physically see him in the studio. Like, I'm just going to bang out another one of these and the yokels are going to eat it up. Like, it's just all you can eat at the Golden Corral buffet. Oh and my they're God. just going to enjoy <laughs> it. And it's brutal. It's brutal. So yeah. I have two things. Can I just that's, follow up really quick? That's great. Yeah, I, please. When I was on tour... Uh-huh. In 2004 with Rich Price, our, our uh, tour manager loved Modern Country, and I was just ripping on it, making fun of me. Uh-huh. He's like, those songs are brilliantly written. There's not a spare note. You couldn't do it if you tried. And I sat down, and I wrote a country song in 10 minutes. Okay. First chorus, first chorus, bridge chorus out, and I had girls, what? rainstorms, trucks, cars. What was it called? Uh, I can't remember. But I, I, I said America. I said flag. I mean, I just I, – I spewed that thing out without – having to think very hard at all and i'm sure it was the most commercial thing i've ever written and uh, and i played it for him and he was just like you could tell i had this wrecked his whole life because he had met and imagine these guys like had their fingers on the pulse of the zeitgeist of the average right. american but right. i would agree with ben that what what those guys have is a finger on the puppet strings of the america yeah and they're and they're making them dance and i just when i feel like an artist is uh hoodwinking an audience like that it 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 really gets my hackles up and so yeah Garth Brooks for me is like exhibit a and a plus well I do think I mean when the guys who wrote the song wrote the song they they brought it to Garth Brooks only because they ran into him in a shoe store Garth Brooks was trying to sell shoes so I, I think Garth Brooks became part of the factory that churns out hits I don't think he was uh conscious enough of what he was doing in the moment he he was just thinking oh i got my big break and i've got a voice so i'll run with it dude he didn't even write that song no no that's awesome yeah Yeah, that makes me even happier he didn't write the song he was in a (laughs) shoe store selling shoes when the writers pitched it to him and uh, how do the writers know that the guy pulls that comes out with a bunch of capizios and they're like wait that guy looks like a singer dude it's nashville everyone everyone is a singer in nashville and so they asked uh, him to do the demo, and he did the demo. And uh, and then when he actually made the break, he called them up and said, "Hey, is that song still available?" Um, so, wow. anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna it's 19. I've done this before. I'm gonna retract. Uh, no, my, my, no, no, no. Stand new, your ground. My new song is uh, "The Beaches of Cheyenne" by Garth Brooks. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the beaches of cheyenne I'm please kidding. tell me that's not oh you don't know that song 
Oh, there's a song called The one, Beaches of Cheyenne. All right, pause the podcast. There's uh, no beach. In Ch- I just drove through Cheyenne. There's no beach. That's the, that's the point. It's a heartbreaking tale. He goes oh off to God. the rodeo. She's walking the beaches of Cheyenne. She's really in L.A. or California. But anyways, he dies. In, oh, it's awful. It gets you right here. All right, we won't play that song. <laughs> Let's go. Tim, you are on fire, man. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that was the best one yet. That really was. That was so. That was not even left field. That was like in the parking lot behind the football stadium that's next to the baseball stadium. You were so far off base. If you had given me a hundred thousand guesses for that yeah. year, and you had yeah. been like, "He's gonna name a terrible song," I would uh-huh. not have gotten it. Like I no. would literally, like I would have scrolled forever. Yep, you would have skipped right over it. Well, we've got to get to the Grammy winner. It is 1991. <laughs> it's an incredible year of music. It's so hard yes. to pick one song, and you are not going to believe who won the Grammy or what won the Grammy and uh, what the number one hit is because they are just missing it by a mile. Do you have the uh, oh, Grammy no, winner? Oh, no, no, I disagree. I mean, I, I was going to – now that I see their choices, I realize how wrong I was. It's like, these truly are the two best songs. <laughs> okay. It's the Grammy winner. Unforgettable by Natalie Cole. Unforgettable. (laughs) That's what you are. Unforgettable. This, by the way, you just is stop. You can't do this. You just can't do this. Oh. I just love this one. That's so oh, good. Jeez. They literally, like, like that poor woman <laughs> whose dad was dead was yeah. like, I've got this crate full of the original <laughs> masters. What am I going to do with them? Like, can I put them up? There wasn't an eBay. She was like, I don't even know what I can do with it. Right. And they were like, you know yeah. what you should do is, why don't you, why don't you sing over it? And put a cheesy track. And she you was mean, like, gold. You mean like a hologram of my dead father? Yeah. Uh, it's just... Why don't I sing a love duet with my dead father, too? Oh, like, let's sure. do that, too, right? Like, it's there's really... nothing creepy about that at all. And also, I'm just uh, going to go ahead and speculate. Like, I, I, Nat King Cole's a great artist, but I assume he's on the road all the time. She was probably like, I don't even know this guy at all. At least I can get a paycheck out of this. <laughs> oh, it's that's just so brutal. rough. Wow. Well, my thinking is that the, the, the Grammy voters... Uh, knew him and hung out with him and you know they're so old they're like oh that's a that's a song of the year right there oh yeah totally they're like my granddaughter will do that for me (laughs) oh it's awesome so we all agree that that song is is not the best song of 1991 that was in poor taste Right like now with technology, like, I mean, what they brought dead rappers now back on holograms on stage all the time. Like, I think a 2020 audience is like, what is the big deal? You're sampling like, like Moby made a whole record where he sampled dead, dead gospel artists and turned it into that play record. But there was, this was the first time somebody took their dead relative and forced them back into the public consciousness and then just kind of sang along in the background. I mean, that was the part that was really... It's really. I mean, she's kind of in the background, right. like me too. I'm also unforgettable. Like it was really. Yeah. It was really. And the a video. Nasty yeah. Band. All right. We got to stop talking about this. It just makes me makes me sad and angry. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electric Acid. All right, well, let's get into a little histories. Um, it is 1991. Iraq invades Kuwait. Uh, good decision or bad decision on Saddam Hussein's part, Jeff Simons? Oh, boy. Uh, all I know is that I, Ben and I were in college together at a very small, very liberal college. And the day that happened, I had hysterical classmates coming up to me wanting to know if I was going to move to Canada because of the 
the the draft that was doubtless about to claim right. a generation of young men. And, and I was not the most politically conscious human being, but even I was like, that is definitely not happening. So yeah. uh, I don't think I want to comment uh, yay or nay on any of Saddam Hussein's uh, choices, life choices. Okay. Um, I'm going to say really, that was a terrible idea. That was a he was really overreach. good in Arrested Development. I liked him in Arrested <laughs> Development. That was a bad call. He should have just let it ride. Yeah. It, it didn't work out for him at all. No. So, it didn't work out for us either. I'm not saying it was like a triumph for us, but right. it did not work out for him. Well, as the United States started marshalling forces and um, you know putting troops in, in Saudi Arabia, I remember I was working at the Boston Globe at the time as I was at Northeastern, and Ellen Goodman is a nationally syndicated columnist. Her son uh, lit himself on fire, poured gasoline all over himself and lit himself on fire to protest uh, the war against Iraq that was, that was forthcoming, that he perceived on the horizon. That was a dark day in the newsroom when that happened. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. All right. Uh, easy transition. I can't that. <laughs> In inventions, tell me uh, which one has proved more useful to the uh, consumer. The airbag or the 911? Oh, those are good ones. That's an empirical well, that question. I don't know the answer to that. I would guess the airbag. <laughs> you think the airbag? It certainly, comes, it certainly comes faster. Hey, oh. Poof. Hey, thank you so much. 911, don't never come. All right. Um, let's go to the number one hit of 1991. Again, well, actually, do either of you know what the number one album, best selling album of the year is? 1991? It does no. not contain the number one hit. What was the no, best selling no, album doesn't. of 1991? It is uh, Metallica. Oh, oh. sure. I should have known that the black album that's great the black yeah. album is yeah. the number one album but the number one hit is not from that album is it jeff simons no but you could see it's why you might make sandman? that mistake <laughs> you can <laughs> see man it's a song so bad i can't believe it's not tim's pick oh see what i did there <laughs> not yet here we go everybody ready this this actually might be the song I hate most that we've featured on the podcast. Period. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And That's I have a, a good statement. story. I have a good story about it too when we're All done. Right. So. It's the number one hit. Everything I do by Brian Adams. Oh, is this everything I do? I do it for you. Oh, it sure is, my oh, friend. Oh, I love this one. Robin Hood. <laughs> Look into my eyes, you will see what you mean to me. Such a heart, such a soul. Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman on the, on the Moors. Totally. Alan Rickman. This is the next Mutt Lang. This is one of the big Mutt Lang hits. Yeah, that's right. Everything I do. Well, this is the Canadian Bruce Springsteen. Right? Boy, Canada doesn't deserve that. That's just mean. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Poor Canada. All right, that's Brian Adams. That is what, Brian Adams. What's your story? So, yeah, so I... Uh, this is summer of 91. I've graduated from college and I am uh, driving to California to take the job. And uh, I, I arrive and I don't have a place to live and I don't have a place to stay. So I put my bag and car in the driveway of a friend's house. He's like, oh, a bunch of us are going to the movies. And I jump in his car and we drive through, I don't know where I am. I've just gotten yeah. off the interstate and uh, we go to see Robin Hood. Oh dear. And uh, it was this with the, the movie with this as the first thing I did as a quasi resident of California was watch this movie. Was it um, all, all that California turned out to be for you? <laughs> That's a pretty awful movie. Pretty I, awful. My, I, I've been dying. One of the things I want to leak that hasn't leaked yet is the original take had Costner doing a British accent through the whole thing. 
and they showed it to test audiences and they started laughing and hollering <laughs> and throwing stuff at the screen that he had to go back and redub the entire thing with just the entire movie? accent free Costner. Yeah, they redub, they pulled the movie, he had to do the entire two and a half hours redub with his normal voice because his his British accent was so horrible that audiences were just like like holding their sides with laughter eight minutes in. Oh, and so that's you watch hilarious. Robin Hood, everybody has a British accent. Everybody, Morgan Freeman, Alan Rickman, everybody he meets except Robin Hood, who sounds like I will name him two socks through the whole movie. <laughs> but hey, does this count does this count as a rock song? This is a rock ballad, right? Yeah, this it's is, definitely a rock song. All right, so this is it, man. We're still ninety one, we're still having number biggest hit of the year is a rock ballad. Why are yeah. we calling that a rock ballad? Oh, because it's got guitars and piano. Yeah, I agree. And with also ben. it's Brian definitely. Adams. Yeah. By the way, I saw Brian Adams open for the Stones. In 1999, as a power trio with Adams on bass, just bass, guitar, drums, no keyboards, no backing vocals, nothing. He was amazing. So oh, I'm, yeah. make, I'm making enormous fun of Brian Adams, but he was one of the best opening sets I've ever seen. They all wore uh, white jeans and white T-shirts, like stark white, no light show, just white lights. And he played 65 minutes. He played one banger after another, No, lo nothing that was... Uh, not an up-tempo song. I didn't even know he played the bass. Huh. I didn't either. He, was, he kicked ass. He was great. So I, while I'm making fun of this horrible, execrable song, Brian right. Adams is actually a super talented dude. So we should look up for 1999. This isn't even the worst song of this year. Unforgiven's worse than that song. This yeah. is Unforg your least favorite Unforgettable. song? Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Just, Whatever. I'm going to call that Unforgiven. I prefer <laughs> that name. Like, you don't remember that like, this was on MTV five times a day. I know. Like, I remember it really, really well. I just well, you know what the it. difference is, man? You want to hear the actual difference? Right. Go. I started dating my girlfriend, uh, who then became my wife in uh, 1990 uh, into 1991. And I, broke up. And I, I was broke like, up and you broke up. Totally. And I was That's, like, everything I do, oh, right, Adams. I, I hear you, man. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming. If, if the song said everything I do is not enough, I would have been like, this song is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's play a game of categories. The categories. Oh no. Uh, the category for tonight is independent nations that were once part of Yugoslavia. The breakup oh, of dude, Yugoslavia. The breakup oh, of Yugoslavia God. is in 1991. So we're going to alternate going back and forth. Ben, you have the most confidence. You go first. There are one, two, three, four, five, seven independent nations. Go. Oh, Ooh, I don't think I get seven. First of all, I lived in Slovenia. Oh. And that was the first country that broke out. They actually like were like, we're out. We're done with this. Oh, okay. excellent. So, Slovenia. Is Serbia one of them? Serbia is Serbia one is of one. them, yes. Okay. Croatia. Excellent. That was, that was the other one I had. Uh, Bosnia. Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. There you go. Thank you. Wait, isn't that two or is you gonna count you're gonna count that no, as one? That's one. Okay. So there are so three now, left. Actually, sadly, now I'm already hurting. Uh, Macedonia is, right? Macedonia. It, it's actually North Macedonia. That's but, renamed. That's Macedonia. Yep. Okay. Sounds great. Wow, uh, that's good. Uh, so there I, two, no, Jeff Simons. It's my favorite line in The Great Gatsby. Oh, Little Montenegro there on the Adriatic Sea. Montenegro. I couldn't have gotten it without the help, though. That's cheating, and I won't have it. I already won this. I'm <laughs> continuing under protest. Do you have the seventh? It so is. It's not Romania, right? No, it's Kosovo. Oh, oh we should have gotten dude, that. For that's God's a disaster. Sake. I suck, oh. and Jeff deserves to win. <laughs> wow. Oh, I don't deserve to win. I wouldn't have come up with it either. Um, an outside hitter from Montenegro has reached out to my school to perhaps come here for her senior year. Little Montenegro. Nice. Need an outside hitter. All right, let's go on to the Black Crows. They are dropped as ZZ Top's opener in March of 91. Do either of you know the story of why the Black Crows were dropped as ZZ Top's opener? Because they were too good. Because the Crows went on stage and, and played their ass under the table. And they got dropped off another tour in 91 because their audience response was so positive that they were uh, undercutting the whole purpose of the opening act. I can't remember who the other band oh, the is. Other the other tour. The Crows, huh. uh, Crows played they can, they themselves play. out of lucrative opening band groups. Yeah. 
Isn't that right? Um, Why they- that's not the official word. Oh, okay. The, the official word was that the tourist sponsor, Miller Beer, grew tired of the Black Crows making fun of their beer and insulting their beer during their that set. Too. That's really so- funny. God bless them for so doing that. So they were out. Um, and finally, it, it would be it would be uh, awful if we didn't mention the the Rodney King riots and the uh, the videotaping of Rodney King's beating. Um, I, was it by LAPD or was it by the sheriff's office? I'm actually not. I'm not I sure it was which. A bystander. Oh, the, the no, the oh, oh the filming was, was a bystander. I, I I was trying to remember if it was LAPD that did LAPD. the beating. It was. Um, third, right? And then once that videotape was 3rd. released, uh, there were riots in the street. Um, do you guys remember where you were or, or how you reacted to that as young white men uh, graduating from teaching. college? I was teaching uh, my first year teaching and uh, there was the curfew locally in Berkeley. Um, and uh, yeah, Ben and I actually have a really... Uh, not the Rodney King trial, but the civil trial. Uh, ben and I were in Los right. Angeles at, at the comedy store the night before they were going to announce the verdict. And mm-hmm. many a comedian asked us what our exit strategy was if uh, they didn't come back with oh a gosh. verdict. Right. In fact, Ben, it's Ben's story to tell, but he like he's, he was the star of the show that night because he got pulled up on stage by a oh, comic. Oh, he didn't. Like, totally... Just totally ruined the whole the guy's whole plan to make fun of him. The guy just looked at him and had to be like, "Man, sit your ass down." <laughs> it was Ben was so on it. It was amazing. He called me up to he called me up and he was like, uh, "You're a white person. You probably like rap." And I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Well, let's see what you got." And he put on nothing but a G thing and uh-huh. a thing, and I knew all the words all the uh-huh. way through. And I rapped completely <laughs> along with it. And he stopped me in the middle and was like, "Go away." He was really mad. <laughs> He was like, that might save you tomorrow. Like if you That's get right. the riot that happens and they pull you over, just get that. Like, it's like that, like that, yeah. like that. You probably, they'll probably let you go. Yeah. That's a good call. That was great. I was, you were my hero. You've always been kind of my hero, but that night I was like, oh, I am riding with the king. That was, oh. that was very impressive. That, that is... was, yeah. You know, I've been teaching, um, I've been teaching a course in 20th century Los Angeles for years. And so, you know, we do a lot with that and we watch, um, a whole bunch of documentaries and we read, uh, we watch Anna Devere Smith's Twilight and, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's funny, right? Like I ascribe that moment as the beginning of how we got to today because cable news doesn't explode without that. Right. Like without that, without that tape to show 24 hours a day, I'm not sure CNN gets over the hump and certainly you don't get all the imitations. And so you can draw a straight line between what's happened to the way we consume media right now and that tape i would argue well and maybe also the the way white america understands race or refuses to understand race you know e- even even with photographic evidence or video evidence still some will not see but i remember that being a, a big eye opener something that was hinted out and bo- hinted at in boys in the hood hinted at in house party with kid and play uh, and then white America finally gets to see it and is like, oh, holy crap. Is that really what's going on? Yeah. And then everything changed. I mean, that was really great. Oh, wait. That's not what happened. Oh, comedic timing. Our three songs. All right. Our three songs. Ben, should you go first since you know what you want to say? Yeah, fair enough. That gives right. Jeff a little more time. So I have warned everyone that my song for this year is going to be Freedom 90. And the first thing I'll note is that it's called Freedom 90 because it comes out in 90. But I'm going to just go ahead and bring the defense for that. Oh, and also I'll note that my wife uh, is listening to the podcast now. And I was trying to explain it to her. And she was like, don't explain it. You cheat every year. You never get the year right. So she's on your side and not on mine. I don't even care anymore. I don't care. It was released as a single on December 15th and it, peaked on the charts in january 91 and jeff will back me on this he will back me on this this was the soundtrack of spring senior year i listened to this freaking stupid song all the time and along with the humpty dance this was one that brought everybody out on the floor and we danced like nuts to it 
So yep. let me start at the beginning. First, uh, I had a really strong bias against George Michael. Okay. And actually now, so many years later, I was like, why, why did I have that? Like, I, I seem to remember, I really thought Wham was terrible and embarrassing, but uh -huh. my daughters love Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Sure. Actually, now as a grown-up, I'm like, that's actually kind of a hummable, it's like along with uh, Walking on Sunshine, like it's a hummable right. pop song. Um, and Careless Whisper is fine. And then the, the record Faith, which is like one of the biggest hits of that entire decade, right. has got a ton of bangers on it. Like that record is great. So I was like, why is it? Uh, Jeff, if you could play just 30 seconds of wham rap, you'll oh, get yeah. a feeling for what it was that I objected oh, to. Oh yeah. I might rap along. Oh, it's a hard hitting urban London streetscape <laughs> in the video right here. He's so angry in his black you leather jacket. You're gonna have a good time down on the line. You got soul on the door. You're gonna have a good time down on the line. I said again. Get on down. I said, get, get, get on down. Okay, you got the idea. You got the idea. Get on down. I said, get, get, get. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song where that poor clown raps. I mean, dude, it's a disaster. Wham rap. Oh, that's probably it. the worst wham song of all time, but there's like another 10 in that category. Yeah. Like, that's how awful that band was. Um, so, yeah, Faith comes out, and then Listen Without Prejudice comes out. Um, and it's actually a little bit sad. Uh, this is, in my opinion, his best song. It's my favorite George Michael song. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, it also catches him at the tail end. And one way you can tell he's at the tail end is Freedom 90 is a genre of song that I usually hate, hmm. which is famous people complaining about being famous. Right. Like, the song is about how beat it is to be a jillionaire and on MTV all the time. And typically, I really wouldn't care for that. Uh, and actually, Jeff, I'll be super curious, and Tim, if you have an opinion too. I have a, a song in this genre that's my all-time least favorite. It's obviously not this one, because I like okay. this song. Do you have a song that you hate in this genre, Jeff Simons? Of the uh, complaining about being famous? We should do a yeah. whole podcast on this, actually. Go ahead. Do you want me to tell you mine? It might jar you loose. Yeah, my, mine, is, mine is the Joe Walsh. Oh, no, I like that song. Oh, no, I hate that song. The uh, John Mellencamp good. song, Pop Singer, where the chorus is, don't want to be a pop singer, don't want to sing a pop song. And it's the first single off that stupid record. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. dude, you know, it's, there's a really easy solution to this. Just, just don't do it. You, don't, you yeah. don't have to do this or release that as your single. Yeah. Do you I'm have totally one, with you. I, I Oh, I was just trying to think. Um, I Sorry, I froze for a second. Uh, I hate Pop Singer. I'm with you on that song. I mean, and I was a big Mellencamp fan. Oh, me too. Me like, too. Yeah. Totally took the wind out of my sails. Uh, let's see. The, the Hater song. I don't have one off the top of my head, but it is. I agree with you. It's an irritating genre. Right. For okay, sure. So, Maybe that so Kiss song is the Kiss song about like, you know, I guess every Kiss song's about how I don't have enough time for all the women who want me. Like, oh, Bob, there, Bob Seger, where he walks oh, into yeah, the cafe. The, What's that song? The one where he's on the road with the yeah. sax oh. solo, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, ringing man, yeah. in my ears. I, I actually right. like that one, too. Turn the so, page. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I hate this stupid genre. And yet this song spoke to me especially. So first, it's just a banger. It's a great song. You can sing along with it. You can dance to it. But there was something about spring semester senior year and a song about freedom that weird oh and the other thing that that it's another genre that i hate it's just a straight rip off of think by aretha franklin and that irks me you know what i mean like he, she's singing about freedom in the civil rights era and he's singing about freedom from arguing with sony <laughs> like, not a likable combination between the two of those and yet there was something about this song and I actually, I listened to it on loop for like two days and it, it brought me back, first of all, it brought me, every time I hear it, it brings me right back to 1991. Um, and it's actually a song about facing who you are and making other people accept who you really are instead of who they think you are. And when you hear it as a 21 year old, to me at least, it spoke exactly to this like moment of quasi adulthood where I was like facing my parents and facing the expectations for me. And I was like, there are things that you want from me that are not me. 
And there are mm. things that are actually me and I'm telling you about what they are. And then the chorus part where it's like freedom and the, and the music, this is all we've got. Right. It's like, all I've got is my integrity. All I have is who I am. Like somehow it just spoke to me. Jeff, pick it up in the middle because we want to make sure, like also it's a six minute song. Yeah. Like if you start at the beginning, it's two and a half minutes before you get to the stupid chorus. <laughs> like you have to listen from the middle. Let's Here hear it, go. man. Freedom 90 by George Michael. breakdown for me that's that's what elevated so fun it. oh totally and then that it looks wah, like the road guitar. to heaven but it feels like the road to hell oh so good uh are we going to talk about the video oh the video it's a david fincher video and <laughs> no, is it really david yeah oh really yeah totally is. oh it really it is. is yeah oh that's awesome it's okay. one of his best i mean yeah he, made his, he cut his bones for sure yeah and it's a bunch of models singing along with it and it's amazing but when you when you rewatch it it's a fincher thing it's like super dark and there's a bunch of like dripping water oh yeah <laughs> very fincher no, it really is it, it, it's a great example of fincher's uh misogyny before he's really like cleaned it up and figured it out but he's like i have all these beautiful women and what i want them to do is look inside their sweaters in this drippy uh -huh. creepy saw basement yeah <laughs> I mean, it really is weird. That that video, though, there's a couple of videos from this moment where MTV just like leaned into sexuality in a way that that um, I I as a young target audience member was unprepared for. And this one, that moment where the blonde uh, model goes inside her sweater and starts singing, like that was definitely yeah. like a. I mean, that was a jolt to the system. Not quite as much as when. <laughs> Madonna. That was not okay, Jeff. Not as, not as bad as That was Madonna. not that inside voice. Inside voice. <laughs> I thought that was good. No, that was I not okay. Literally, I was like, oh, that happened. And then the other one was uh, Madonna and the milk in the express. This is the video. second time we've mentioned this, and it's a family podcast. Don't I'm going to have to ask you to censor yourself. Say we. It's a family podcast? Good Lord. Uh, you should have told me that when we started. I mean, I, I love that song. And uh, I was in Boston at the time, and, and we would just dance dance the night away. Actually, I think that's the song that my brother would pull the car over, and we would just I, – I come from a small town, so you could do this. You pull the car over and just start boogieing. That's yeah, a good the, memory. The summer after senior year, me and my brother – drove out to California and picked up my college roommate and then uh -huh. drove him back to the East Coast. That is a And I made friend. a Freedom mix, started with Freedom 90, had Independence Day, Springsteen, the live version. Uh -huh. Just That's a good one. Uh, Don't Fence Me In, the David Byrne version. From Red from Hot, Red Hot and, Blue. and Blue, which yeah. is good. also awesome. Uh, needless to say, it had Freebird, because you can't drive to California and back without Freebird. Plus, it eats um, up a lot of the mix. So. Oh, totally. It had, I, it, it had Thank by Aretha, too, just so you could get the comparison with Freedom 90. But, yeah, super okay. fun. Great That's stuff. stuff. That's awesome. Great. You told awesome that song. really well. That was all right, um, podcast. All right, so I'm going to go. All right, I, I, I've been struggling all week, like, uh, the different ways to go. And mainly my struggle is that I'm not – I'm just not going to do – I'm not going to repeat a band because it's so much less fun if you're just like, you know, like this band again. So I'm not doing that. Well, I feel um, bad then because I feel like I forced you into Tom Petty, American Girl, when you had another Tom Petty. I, that's oh, still coming. This isn't the Tom Petty year. That wouldn't be this year. That would be okay. the Wildflowers year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, know, okay. I still haven't decided what the hell I'm going to do at that point. Do but, that. Go ahead and do that. But you for this year, I had a bunch of really great candidates like – 
I really love that Tribe record that came out. It's probably my right. favorite, except for Public Enemy, they're my favorite hip hop band. And, and I think the Low End Theory is probably my second favorite hip hop record of all time, but I'm not going with that. Um, the hipster weirdo pick would have been a record called Girlfriend by Matthew Sweet, Yeah, I was hoping I, you'd pick that. I almost, I mean- I love that album. I love that record. And yeah. it was, and uh, Ben already alluded to that. They, uh, his, his love life was in Ascension, in 91 and mine was headed the right. other direction and matthew sweet's girlfriend was the record i listened to over and over and over right and over again while it broke apart um but i'm gonna go really ham fist big this like the biggest song i could pick and i'm gonna do it because i have i can remember exactly where i was i heard it and like ben there's like a there's a there's kind of a story moment here so the, I've made no secret of the fact that I, I thought of myself as kind of an angry little wiry punk rock kid in high school. I was in a band that played 100 miles an hour and I got to college expecting to find all the other angry wiry punk rock kids. And I just went to a school that didn't have very many, like maybe three <laughs> others. I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't an edgy place. I moved into my college dorm room and I put up my big replacements poster and both my, my new roommates were like, who are the replacements? They never heard of them. I was like, I don't right. even know. I can't imagine. I came to like college and my two 18 year old roommates haven't even heard of the band that I was worried was too mainstream to put on the wall. So I spent <laughs> four years like kind of losing my edge. Right. Uh -huh. um, and uh, because it just couldn't, I just wasn't in a place where you could keep an edge. And, uh, and it wasn't a particularly edgy time for rock music. I mean, we've, the stuff we've been playing and listening to, it isn't the it isn't the kind of confrontational sounds. So Fugazi last year, right, had a little right. edge to it. And uh, but no, I mean Ben knew Fugazi and like a couple of my punker friends from home. But like if I put a Fugazi record on at college, oh like everybody would have been like, you would have cleared the dance floor and the room. <laughs> the room, they would have been like, ow, ow, can somebody Stop put uh, James Taylor's greatest hits back on uh, and, or Squeeze's greatest hits or like America. trying to have fun. So I moved to California in the summer of 1991, um, starting a new job. I don't know anybody like, and I'm living in a little one bedroom apartment. Uh, it's kind of crappy and, uh, and uh, it's hard. Like I'm a first year teacher. I'm working too hard. I don't have any friends. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. Like I had $71 a month in expendable income after I pay the rent and the car payment. Like, I mean, Nothing. so yeah. I'm driving around in my car and it's late. And I remember it was like 10 o'clock at night and I was driving home from work on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock at night. Cause I'm, I'm still trying to prep the next morning and I don't have any. And I, and uh, the, the only radio station in town that played anything even relate, remotely modern was a station called live one Oh five. And at 10, like 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, the DJ's like, Hey, we're gonna play something new for you. And, and uh, I assume it's going to be some, something I don't like. And uh, this is what I hear. Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. I'm so shocked I yeah. pulled the car over. Like, I still remember where I was. Ben, I was on San Estelmo Avenue across from the video store, like yeah. coming from the school to the apartment. I pull the car over, turn it up, and the engine's running. And I just can't even believe, I cannot believe that a radio station is playing something that sounds like that. Because I've been listening to music that sounds like that for my whole time. I mean, that, that sounds like Husker doing. It sounds like SST Records, and it sounds like The Replacements. And, it sound, and then... Cobain's voice comes in and uh, I just cannot believe that a, the biggest radio station in San Francisco is playing a song that sounds like that. And uh, I sat there, I listened to the whole thing and uh, I was just absolutely gobsmacked. I was like, I cannot believe music that I love so much that I have struggled to find people to listen right. to it with is now going to be on the radio. And I, I didn't think it would be a hit. But I was like, and I fell in love with the way you fall in love with something like just all over. I ran to the record store the next day, bought the record. And then it became the biggest song in the world. And watching a thing you assume is going to be yet another little talisman of your weirdness blow up 
Like this is the first time that really happened to me. Like where yeah, I was I like, I thought that must have been really weird, and I'm actually right. really surprised. I thought you didn't like this because it was so derivative of other stuff that's better. Well, and that's the thing. I have a really complicated relationship with Nirvana because I actually think they're very good, and I also think they're one of the most overrated bands of all time at the huh. same time. If and uh, and I have, I mean, I were, I was, I mean, Cobain's our age, like or would have been our age, like when he killed himself in '94. I yeah. felt that, yeah. I felt that personally. And I was, I was furious with him, furious with him. He had an infant daughter and he was one of the few guys who seemed to be interested in writing from a perspective and from a point of view that mattered to me as well. And, uh, and, I, and I still have very mixed feelings about the band. Like everybody, Cobain now, because he was a, a, a great looking guy and because he went out early, everyone wants to make him into the American John Lennon. And oh, he was so against the grain. He didn't care about success. And he was a pure artist. And all of that is a giant crock. Like, you know who appears on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine more than anybody else from 1991 to 1994? Those guys. He's oh. on the cover of Rolling Stone every three issues saying, boy, do I yeah. hate being on the cover of Rock right, and Rolling right, Stone. Right. I mean, that, he oh, was so dude, conflicted. Yeah, it also, it hurts my feelings because he's an advertisement for killing yourself. And yes. I, I mean that as yeah. meanly as it sounds. Like, the, he, like, uh, the, like, there's a whole bunch of Pearl Jam stuff about it and Eddie talks about it really openly. Um, and then you have Courtney Love and other people literally like put a bunch of pressure on people like oh well if you want to be a real artist this is where it ends like oh, it's just Jesus. brutal like oh, not well, a any fair piece where he, both he and Courtney Love are shooting up heroin while they have an infant child and and uh the idea that that that's where all this great art is coming from like I I never I, I've never believed that I rebelled against it as a young person I re and I rebel against it even more now as somebody who's watched great talent waste itself in drug addiction through my entire adult life of supporting artists like that you couldn't have said it better, right? That that right. Um, the promise of the song isn't fulfilled. But, and the reason I'm choosing it is, I do love this song. I don't love this band. Oh, and it's a banger. Never, I do not mean to yeah. criticize it at yeah. all. This is this a song is great. banger. And you're and completely right. It burned your ears off. The first time you heard it on rock radio, you were like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. and it's because of Butch Vig, the producer here. Nirvana's um, first record, Bleach, is, is sophomoric. It's not very good. There's a couple of good songs but they're a crappy band recorded in a crappy studio. And now everybody goes back like, oh, Bleach is the real thing and never mind, it's all pretty. Without Butch Big figuring out what makes this band tick and what they're, the, you know, how to yeah. take the, the sum of the parts and make them bigger, they don't go anywhere. That drum sound that Butch Vig gets out of Dave Grohl on this record is, defines, defines like uh, the next five years of rock drumming. Oh, and, and the Grohl, guitar sound too. The guitar sound is so great. So great because Cobain can barely play. Yeah. But what he can do, he can do really well. And rather <laughs> than try to make it sound better, make it sound different, or bring in other dudes, he's like, do your thing and I will capture it. I'll capture your your Led Zeppelin loud to you know, soft to loud thing, uh -huh. and we'll lean into all of the mistakes that you make, and it won't matter. I mean, Butch Vig is the fourth member of this band, as far as I'm concerned. And right, no, and that's so like he's credit. sloppy as hell. He's yeah. extra sloppy, and it couldn't work any better. Like it's right. perfect. Yep, and I, I guess also like the song defines the, the the moment so incredibly well. Like that, I mean, we're all Gen Xers, and for those and like. You know, we're not boomers. My son loves to call, say okay boomer to me whenever he disagrees <laughs> with me. But there's an important difference. But that, here we are now, entertain us. Feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now, entertain I mean, boy, does that sum up a generation. Like, uh -huh. when I, gen, the Gen X generation is the generation that grew up in, in like, broken homes with, with parents who were too busy. Latchkey kids. Time, latchkey kids who raised themselves. And that, like, with the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now, entertain us. Like, it's the perfect couplet for being 21 years old in 1991. So this is not my favorite song. This is not a record I go back to. In fact, I can't listen to Nevermind. Like, that's not a record I can put on and be like, oh, I'm just enjoying this. Those songs are all played to death. And I get so angry at him uh, again, again by yeah. the middle of the record. I have to turn it off. But um but no song defines 91 for me like that one. And while I would recommend you go listen to the Matthew Sweet record, it, it, I just would be disingenuous for me not to, to put Smells Like Teen Spirit right. as a just 
stake in the ground, touchstone. You want to know what it was like to be 21 in 1991? That five minutes will help you explain it all. It's the, it's the dark side of Ben's Freedom 90. Because you were either right. dancing to Freedom 90 or you were alone in your house listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit. So, so Jeff, um, another reason why I thought you didn't like it is the bassist is terrible and the bass is terrible. Would you agree with uh, that? Yes. Yeah. Like, there's the a version yeah. of this where you can't play and it's kind of charming. And then there's another version <laughs> where you can't play. and It's Chris Novelichek. That's the guy's yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. Or Novoselic. I never quite figured out how to say it. So name, bad. So bad. He actually is. The, he's the real Sid Vicious of punk rock. Like Sid Vicious pretends to play the bass and knows he can't. But Chris, Chris thinks he can play and he can. He's a bad musician. And he's bad for that band. Oh, like, totally. Maybe, it's a great... maybe he's the glue between Kurt and Dave, but I don't think so. I think he. I think part of the antics that he brought to the group uh, led Cobain to himself a little bit towards the the darker, more self destructive side of himself. You know, there's like a hilarious just... live at MTV thing, and I don't know. Oh. If I remember which song where Novella well, hits himself in the head. Face, he throw he takes the bass off and he throws it in the air. And then he's like a big oafish guy and he's trying to catch it and it lands smack on his freaking head. And he's like, like running around holding his head and the look on Cobain's face. Like if he had killed himself then, I would have been like, fair, that's fair. (laughs) That's so bad. I'll never forget that. He gave himself a concussion. And yeah. Cobain kicked, remember Cobain kicked him down a flight of stairs on the way off stage? Like he kicks him in the ass and like knocks oh, him over. Yeah. And the next day Cobain's like, I didn't know he had a concussion. I wasn't trying to kill him, but he was so angry at him. Like, oh, it's he was well ready. below unprofessional. It was like yeah. a whole other Wait, level. why did he throw that. his bass in the air? Because he's a real rock star. You know, yeah, like, but he was like, trying, it was he was trying to show like <laughs> how, abo- how above it all I am. And like, isn't this like, isn't this spontaneous rock and roll? But he was just. And he wasn't even a clown the way like Flavor Flav was a clown, right? Like poking a hole in the whole thing and making it cooler and better. He was just a doofus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that, I think Dave's Grohl career, um, whether you like the Foo Fighters or not, you can't deny that the guy's musical as can be and just yeah. Like, yeah. a real talent and yeah. a pretty swell guy. And uh, I just can't, I just, uh, I just, I'm sad. I mean, Nirvana, Nirvana makes me sad. Like, really genuinely well, sad can I, can I, see I, way that I can't get I have past, a record you know? that I go back to over and over and over again for them and it's none of the recorded stuff it's a live at Reading at 92 yes. you know the one I'm talking about right Oh, dude. so it's 20 I've got it's, uh, you get the full hour and a half live at Reading and you can't believe how good they are like yep. they just shred all wow. the way through it and it's like the perfect timing because it's after the first record, it's before the second record, and um, a bunch of the second record songs are in it. And there's a there's a bunch of concerts, and basically Cobain, you could see on his face, he wore out. He wore yeah. out. He couldn't stand living in his own skin, and it was obvious. Like he just couldn't take another day of being him. And this is just right before that. And it's spectacular. I mean, yeah. they're just killing it. Uh, he's on fire. The, the lyrics are beautiful. It's got the crazy, like, feedback, Jimi Hendrix, um, Star Cycle banner thing at the end. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And he's right. I mean, that's actually the place to start. Like, if you're, if you want to know where to start with Nirvana, I would actually start with Live at Reading. If you don't like that, you don't like them. You well, know, oh, for not sure. getting, it's not getting better. I, I yeah. want to know what you guys think of Ben. Did you say the um, the place where Motley Crue played and, and everyone, was that the Hollywood A Go Go or something like that? Whiskey A Go Go, yeah. The, the Whiskey A Go Go. I I I'm picturing like Cinderella and Poison and Motley Crue sitting around the Whiskey A Go Go. What is their reaction to hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit? Oh, dude, there's an amazing story about this. It's so oh, really? Yes, it's so great. The Warren oh, really? guy. You're telling the story about the Warren guy? Yeah, yeah totally. Greatest. Tell it. So oh, the Warren guy, um, basically. She's my, she's my cherry pie. Warren? Totally. Yeah, that same. cherry pie record is a gigantic hit, and everything's awesome. Yeah. And so they go back into the studio, and they're recording it. And they finish up, and then they go walking into their record company, and they're like, surely this will be another gigantic hit. Oh, and it's no. a huge poster of Nirvana. And one <laughs> more guy turns to the other one, and he's like, this doesn't work out at all. <laughs> they knew it was up. The, yeah, oh, man, dude. The, the it jig was the up. Page, it turned the page on hair metal. Like, that, that record just, just ended boom. that and started grunge. Boom, done and done. 
they're all, they're all I mean, there's the Soundgarden really... record this year too, but that's not as big as the Nirvana record. Right. But I mean, there's some some early well, rumblings of what. Well, Pearl actually, Jam, Pearl Jam comes out right. Ten. Yeah. Well, this, and that's the thing. Like ten, I much prefer ten to Nevermind. I preferred Pearl Jam to Nirvana from, from the, the jump, from yeah. the beginning. And I. Wait, and that was the ninety one. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, I just, I know I was unapologetic about it. Nirvana was the cool, it was, you were, I mean, Pearl Jam was supposedly this pale imitation of Nirvana. And when we get to Pearl Jam, I will debunk that, I hope. But Oh, um, I agree with that for sure. But here's the thing, like, remember Ben was saying earlier, like the songs we pick ideally bring, some, like the, re, the problem with Garth Brooks is he's a retread, right? Right, right. The song, like the problem with grunge is not Pearl Jam. The problem with grunge is Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Because the big hit that owes its life to this song is Plush, that uh, yeah. Stone Temple Pilot. That's the cherry pie of grunge. Yeah, that, you're right. You know, and all, and as you were saying, like all of Cobain's posturing leads to those drug addictions and those and right. the Alice in Chains and all of that. And I, I just find all of that profoundly sad. So and, sad. And hard to, hard to reconcile. So. Uh, is it my turn? It's your turn, Timmy. Do well, it, man. Your turn. I, I, By the way, yeah. I, hold on, Jenna, yeah, before he even goes, I'm going to predict that he's going to choose a song we like. I'll he, be totally, he keeps mixing it up. I, we haven't had two disasters in a row. I am going chalk uh, this week. You know, I went, I went, out of left field into the parking lot uh, last week. Uh, and Kevin Brown's going to be mad at me, but I'm going back to my roots. I have to play U2 One. One by U2. Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You're saying, one love, one life. When it's one need in the night. One love, we get to share it, leaves you baby, don't care. I mean, Actung Baby was a huge album uh, in Boston and, and, and I would assume in your lives as well. Apparently, so they had a studio in Berlin for three months and they came out with two songs. Um, one of them was Mysterious Ways, and the other one, like I guess it was just a debacle. Their entire time in Germany, they could not figure out what they were doing. They could not figure out the direction. They knew they didn't want to do more of the same. And, uh, but they're fighting a, a lot. They're, they're not producing. Brian Eno's mad at them. Uh, and in 15 minutes, they put together one. 15 minutes. They're there for three months. Mysterious Ways and One is all they pull out. And One takes them 15 minutes. Just inspiration hit. I don't know if you guys know the story of their time in Berlin, but Bono wrote about it. Uh, I think it was for the New York Times. They rented a house. Big mansion in Berlin. Do you know the story, Jeff? There's a great documentary about the making of Octoon Baby oh, called really? Down, Down All the I've Days. Or dark, oh, yeah. I, you, you will love it. It's really terrific. All right. Uh, they're in the mansion. Bono's taking a bath. The family who owns the mansion comes home. Apparently, they just got hoodwinked. And someone, you know, made a lot of money renting them a mansion that he did not have the ability to actually rent. And the family comes home, and it's Bono in a towel coming down the stairs to greet them. I just love that image of, uh, of Bono doing that. Do you guys like this? He's the biggest rock star in the world at that biggest point. Biggest rock I mean, star in like, the world at this point. It's, I mean, that is really funny. Did you like the direction they went in the 90s? Well, that's a different question than do I like Octoon Baby? Okay. Do you like Octoon Baby? Do you like yes. the song? I love, it's actually not my favorite song on the record. Wh which um, one did just, you think I was going to pick? Uh, what's your favorite song? 
even better than the real thing. I oh, think it's really? just one oh, of the slink, slinkiest, spectacular grooves those guys ever came up with. I can't believe how great it is. That's I could listen even better than the real thing for for like six hours. On is loop. that what you thought I was going to pick? Yeah, and yeah. I love uh, I love uh, all the up tempo numbers on Octane Baby. I think are the fly, amazing. I, the fly, mysterious ways. I'm a big I ride or die for ultraviolet light my way near the uh-huh. end of the record. That song, the guitar playing on that track is. I love this record. I bought it at midnight. It was one of those, uh, uh, there was a local record store in San Francisco that stayed open on release date Tuesday. Yeah. So you could buy big records at midnight. So you would start selling it at 12.01. I bought Octane Baby at midnight 01 and drove home and played it. I, I, I love this record. Oh, it is great. the last U2 record that I love. Oh, the rest of the 90s, you didn't like that direction? I really love the song Stay from Zuropa. Yeah. Uh, Whatever that, I think that's what the song's called, right? The, right, the stay far away, Europa. so close. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a great song. That's it. And then, well, I mean, I don't. Di- there's songs I don't dislike, but that's pretty much the last U2 song that just uh, poleaxes me. And then I like okay. a couple of others after that, but yeah, they're pretty much. Uh, they're pretty much. I hope they play the old stuff band for me after 1993. All right. What about you? I did not like this record when it came out. Not uh-huh. surprisingly. I basically haven't liked a record, U2 record when it came out since Unforgettable Fire. Um, and But this record grew on me. And in particular, I find this song a searing listen. Like, I can't describe how much I love this song. Such a good song, um, yeah. And it didn't happen for me at the time, but that's because this is a song that requires a lot, in my opinion, a lot of emotional maturity. Like, you really have to understand what it's like to be in a long-term relationship and love someone, mm-hmm. despite all of the fighting that comes along with that, to get the depth of this. Like, the all of the verses are, like, really negative and kind of hurtful, and then it grows into the chorus where he explains what it's all about, where it's right. like, we just have this one love. We hurt each other. We get back together. This is all there is. You know, it's just beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, I kept going to see them. I saw the pop tour and I saw the, oh, you can't leave behind tour. Well, and then I, I went and saw him again on this Joshua Tree tour. But, um, but, I, but I found the new material like, interesting but also sometimes i would drift away and then as soon as they went back to stuff in the mid 80s it, it, like it's like a cut through butter with a hot night it's right. so much more visceral and immediate and exciting to me so so real real quick quick story we'll close it out um i'm in i'm teaching in las vegas in 96 uh or 97 when they the world tour opens for pop in las vegas um, Rage Against the Machine opens and I go and I scalp a ticket and I'm just a teacher in Vegas by myself at this giant stadium watching you two. And I, I don't know anything to anybody. I'm just going to make my way to the front. And I start pulling the, oh, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. And I just start climbing over, climbing over the seating, climbing over. I'm getting all the way to the stage for my band. Here I am in Vegas. I don't know what I'm doing. It's my first year of teaching. As I'm going up, and I, I go up 50 rows, I see a woman who keeps going up maybe five seats away from me. She's pulling the exact same trick. And, like, we notice each other, like, the 25th row and then the 20th row and then the 10th row. And, and our, our trajectory is bringing us closer as we hop over these seats and say, excuse me to all these people – and get closer to the stage and in like the fifth row we're like face to face as we go over these chairs and we're looking at each other and she's like mr plane it's like morgan oh no she was Ah! a sophomore in my english class and here i am getting to the front of the stage i was like you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go this way see you later um and i remember celebrating you two with my student in that one little moment and then we went in other directions oh i'm so sorry that's where that finished yeah I mean, believe me i had much higher hopes <laughs> sorry too. guys yeah. that's funny uh, that's not the worst like mr so-and-so story i'll tell that story at some point of the worst time oh, gosh. Uh, a student horrible. reintroduced themselves to me <laughs> that'll be the last podcast all right gentlemen thanks so much Great well done, fellas. Timmy, you're actually awesome, my friend.
if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.